For the teaching today, we're going, I'm going to continue with part two of what we talked about last week. And so the name of the teaching is Integrity of the Heart, and this will be part two of that. I want to just kind of bring you up to speed with what we talked about. I'm going to cover just a few scriptures of what we covered last week. Uh, our main scripture that we're looking at is Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And so this is a profound statement. That word keep in the Hebrew language really means to guard. Guard your heart with all diligence. I like the word diligence, but did you notice they, had, they, they prefaced it with the word all, as if diligence wasn't strong enough. And so it's all diligence. And that, when you look that, word, up, that dil, word diligence up, it actually means focused attention. So it's talking about all of your focused attention, and it even... Uh, has the meaning of to guard, again, to guard with all of your focused attention. There's something God wants you to take note of, something God wants you to guard, and then it, it's your heart, and it says, for out of it spring the issues of life. The word issues refers to the extreme reach of a border, an end point. And so God is saying here, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of its spring, there's a fullness of life that he wants you to encounter. And that word also issues also talks about deliverance and also escapes from hardship and harm. Uh, that word life, the word chai, in the, in the Hebrew language is a strong word. It's kind of a pinnacle word of the whole Hebrew culture. And this word literally doesn't just mean life as in just breathing. It's talking about life in flourishing, the flourishing life, the fullness of life. It kind of is a word that kind of leapfrogs around the word shalom. If you do a deep study on the word shalom, that is the highest and the best of which can be a, 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 state, a state of being of nothing missing and nothing broken. That sounds like a good place to be in, doesn't it? And so this word chai is really talking about having the vigor of life. It's the opposite of death and the curse. The complete opposite of death and the curse. So it's a life that is flourishing. Of course, we find that life in its fulfillment as being one with the Lord, don't we? He is the way, the truth, and the life. So it's integrity of the heart, and this is kind of the key element that we want to grab onto throughout this teaching, is that the integrity of the heart releases the depths of the blessings of God. In Acts 2.40, uh, Peter's teaching this great sermon. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. Fifty days earlier, he was denying the Lord. Fifty days later, on the day of Pentecost, there he is, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he teaches this eloquent, eloquent sermon. And then he says, be saved from this perverse generation. And the word saved there is a word that means delivered. Be delivered from this perverse generation. Be preserved from this perverse generation. Come into wholeness apart from this perverse generation. There's something there that God is trying to get us to see. There's something that's been entrusted to us, the church, that, has a, that we need to guard and keep hold of because there's a power, there's an anointing, there's a presence that will, that will exude through that, that will touch the world around us 
for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that word perverse is actually a word that means warped and bent due to dryness. You know, when you have extreme dryness, what are you lacking? Life. There's no life there. And so even though the world's allure, the things in the world, the temptations of the world, they look exciting for the moment. But we have to understand there's no life there. There's no anointing there. There's no preciousness there. In Matthew 5, 13 and 14, uh, the word says, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, in other words, if we become like the world, then how can the world be seasoned? We have something that's supposed to enhance and season the world around us. Did you know that you've been entrusted with that? You have that within you. You are to make, be a person that makes a difference. We have some young people here in the sanctuary. In your schools, young people, you are to make a difference. You are to be a leader. You are to allow the presence of God to shine forth. And it's not always just through your words. It's through your actions. As people look at you and see how you conduct your life, you will set the tone. You will set the stage. And not only that, but the Holy Spirit will be working with you to make that happen. Then it says, he says, you are the light of the world. And that word phos in the Greek language, light, uh, we think of that a lot of times as kind of like the sun is a phos. It's, it's a single point of light. But if you look at the sun, it's more than just a single point of light, isn't it? It has rays of light that go out from it. And so this is when, when the Lord said, you are the light of the world. We are to have the different rays of his light, of his anointing, of his presence, and of his power uh, flowing through us to touch the world around us. Peter, in, in 2 Peter 1, 5, and 6, Peter had just said that you are partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And then he says in, in verses 5 and 6, and that word lust, as I talked about last week, is more than just an erotic sense. It's talking about greed. It's talking about anger, greed, self-centeredness. All of those things are wrapped up in that word lust, self-serving. Then he says in 5.6, he says, but also for this very reason. Why? So you can escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence. There it is again, all diligence. And that word in the Greek actually means with all speed. In other words, give it all you've got. I can just hear the Lord begging us saying, this is important. Pay attention to this. Don't fall in to the traps of the world. Don't allow the world to flavor you. You flavor it. And give, and give all diligence to this. And then he says, add to your faith. Remember, give all diligence to this. Add to your faith virtue, integrity. Virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. He says you are to, with all speed, with all diligence, with all you've got, make sure you are continually adding these things to your faith. That word virtue uh, means a virtuous course of thought, feeling or action that leads to moral goodness. 
any particular moral excellence as modesty or purity. Doing, in other words, doing the right thing. And for a believer, what is doing the right thing? Doing the word of God, amen? Being a worshiper, as Pastor Ryan was talking about, is to take that time as one of your non-negotiables in life and to honor the Lord daily, to be in the word of God daily, to be learning about this new life as being one with him. In last week, we ended with uh, Daniel 11, 32 and 33, that says, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Did you know that that's a mandate for your life? But the people who know their God, I'm looking out across the sanctuary here today, and I know there's people watching today, they know the Lord, you know the Lord. And so it says here that the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many. In other words, your life is to be a testimony and a light that touches many lives who are watching you. And I'll tell you something, the Holy Spirit will make sure that other people are watching you. Years ago when I first came to this church, I had been a drug dealer for many years and uh, lived a completely opposite life than I'm living now and uh, involved in a lot of terrible things. And when I came to this church, now trust me, integrity was not in my vocabulary back then, okay? There was no integrity in my life. I didn't even know what the word meant. And I remember when I came to this church, somebody said to me, you really are a man of integrity. I almost thought he was cussing at me. I asked him, I said, what did you just say? He said, I said, you're a man of integrity. And I said, I don't know what, and I, would, I wasn't, I was learning, because, you know, my vocabulary back then was, wow, dude, hey, woo, and a whole bunch of four-letter words, you know, thrown in the mix. And so I said, I said, I need to know what that word means that you just used, and he told me what it meant. And so I remember another time I was standing in this church, church was over, and then somebody walked up to me, tapped me on the shoulder, and said, I've been watching your life ever since you've come into this church. I've been watching you, and you really have taught me a lot of things through your actions. I thought, wow, my life was preaching something. I didn't even know who this person was. But what, what was happening? The Holy Spirit was using me as an example to instruct that person on getting some things right in their life. So I guarantee you, there are people watching your life, and the Holy Spirit will draw them to your light. He will. He's faithful in that. But the people who know their God, that word know in the Hebrew language is a really extreme word. It's the word yada. And it means this. It means to know, to learn, to discern. But it also means this, to know by experiencing experiential knowledge. This is a word, and it means intimacy. This is a word in the Bible where it says, and Adam knew Eve. Did you know that that scripture, and Adam knew Eve, means more than, hey, how you doing? It was like, hey, how you doing? He knew Eve. And uh, they, had, they had children because of that knowing. You're getting it. 
And so it was a deep intimacy between Adam and Eve. This is the type of intimacy, the deep intimacy, that God wants his church to have with him. And you will find this type of intimacy when you become a worshiper. You will experience the presence of God. So now you know when somebody's telling you a story and then they go, yeah, I'm telling you, and this happened, and you know, yada, yada, yada. You'll go, what? <laughs> what? I want to take a look at the life of Daniel today. Daniel and his friends. And we're going to go through some of the book of Daniel. Uh, because of, so let me bring you up to, cat, up to speed here on where we're going to be talking about. Daniel and his friends, they were, uh, these were Jews in captivity in Babylon. And so in 722, Israel, the ten tribes of Israel, the northern kingdom, go into captivity into Assyria in 722. Later on, and Isaiah's prophesying to the northern kingdom primarily, warning them to repent and turn from their wicked ways. They don't. The Assyrians come down, take them into Assyria, and they go into captivity. The other two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, are the southern kingdom. And they are a little bit better, they're doing a little bit better than Israel did. But slowly, corruption and perversion filter into the southern kingdom. And so Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, is predominantly preaching to and prophesying to Judah, telling them the same story. Repent. Turn. You're going to go into captivity. Turn. I don't want to do this. And they just will not turn from the wicked ways. And so, so they continue on, and at 605, the first group are deported to Babylon. Then there's another group in 597, and then eventually in 586, uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes again and takes a third group out, and they, he destroys Jerusalem and the temple. And so there are three groups that are deported uh, to Babylon. This is all because of their lust, perversion, self-centeredness. It's all about me. This is what I want. I don't care what you said, God. I want to do this. And so they go into captivity. Did you know that that type of living today and that kind of thinking today will also lead you into captivity? It will take us into captivity. You know, Proverbs 16.25 is one of my favorite scriptures that says there is a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way of death. It seems right, but it's not the right way to go. In Jeremiah 25, 8 and 9, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words. Wow. Because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, and against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing, a perpetual desolations. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. All they had to do was repent and do what? Serve God. But because they didn't repent, guess what? They got to serve the king of, of Babylon. They're going to serve somebody, right? They should have made the right decision. 
Well, let's take a look at Daniel 1, 3 through 21. And the king, now this is the story here. Remember, I said the first people that were taken out of Jerusalem that was taken out in 605. And Daniel was part, Daniel and his friends were part of that first group that left uh, Judah and were taken into Babylon. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom were there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies, take note of that word, and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them... The chief of the eunuchs gave names. He changed their names. He gave, the name Dan, he gave Daniel the name uh, Belteshazzar to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart. Did you hear that? Daniel made a decision. Daniel set up some non-negotiables for himself. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies. I find this interesting because it just listed for us the nobles, the children of Israel. These were the top echelon of the leader's children of Israel. This was the... the, the cream of the crop right here of Judah. And they should have known the Mosaic law. They should have known the covenant. They should have understood and they should have been conducting themselves within that covenant. It should have been special to them. But Daniel is the only one out of this whole group that purposes in his heart that he will not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacy. You might be thinking, well, what's wrong with that? Because in the Mosaic law, there were certain foods that were not lawful to eat. And there were certain foods you were supposed to eat and certain ones you were not supposed to eat. This was part of God's commandment to the nation of Israel. And so Daniel knew this. Out of all these people, Daniel knew it. And he's purposed in his heart, I'm not going to compromise the word of God. I refuse to compromise. This was a non-negotiable act for Daniel. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. I want you to notice that right there. He brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. When you start walking in integrity and you refuse to compromise, then favor and goodwill will follow after you. 
And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink, for why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are of your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacy. And, and as you see fit, so deal with your servants. Daniel knew something about this. For him to make a statement like that, he knew that obedience and integrity of heart before the Lord brought benefits. He knew that. Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to make such a bold statement. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in the flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and wine and, they were, uh, and that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Now, check out verse 17. As for these four young men, number one, I want you to see this. Daniel's the one who purposed in his heart. But did you see his leadership had an effect on three other men? Three other men, it just took one, it takes one person to make a stand. Just one person to do the right thing before God and say, I'm not going to compromise. And there will be others that will see your stand and will follow suit. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Their stand of integrity released supernatural benefits of the kingdom into their lives. I don't, you really got to catch that. You might be looking at this and saying, yeah, well, those are Bible characters. No, I want to tell you something. They're people just like us, just like you, just like me. They're people that stood for something, though, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of trial, when the world was going a whole different direction, when it's difficult to make your stand. They made a stand. And when they made that stand before God, God poured out a supernatural abundance upon them to aid them in their leadership to affect change in other people's lives. Now, at the end of days, when the king had said that they, they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. When it says at the end of days, you need to understand this is at the end of three years. At the beginning, it said that they will be trained for three years. So at the end of days, this is three years later that they were brought in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them and check out what the king said. Remember, this is a pagan king. He doesn't know God. He's serving idols. He's serving false gods. And this king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He was astonished. The king took note of this. Therefore, they served before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which they served before the king, uh, 
And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined, he found them to be, are you ready for this, ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in his realm. Then Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. They held on to the Lord and his ways, even in the midst of difficulty, adversity, and temptation. I wonder how many of the people of Judah that were there in captive with him saying, knock it off, Daniel. Quit going against the flow. Just be like us. Quit rocking the boat. Probably many. And when they said, no, we're not going to change. We're going to hold on to these. We're going to hold on to our God. We're gonna, it, you, you all are doing something different. We're going to stand before God. They experienced great rewards. My, one of my favorite sayings, don't, let, don't allow what's happening around you take up residence within you. Shine, flourish right where you are in life. You may be the only, it may seem like you're the only one, but shine, stand, knowing that he is with you. Keep your heart right, for out of the abundance of the heart will flow the presence of God and the, and the goodness of God. That word defile that we have just read about means to pollute, stain, breach. It's a breach of morality or a breach of what is right. Those word delicacies are things that catch the eye, appear pleasing, delightful, luscious, tempting. These men knew the law of God was certain food restrictions. They kept themselves obedient to God's ways. And uh, the word of God was non-negotiable for them. No compromise. And this is where the blessings flow. Look at 1 John 2, 16 and 17. For all the, and this really covers every temptation that will come against you, that will come your way. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Delicacies. I was thinking about Adam and Eve in the garden when the serpent was tempting them and they had that, that tree that they weren't supposed to eat off of and they saw that fruit. All three of these were right there. Satan used all three of these against them. Look at that fruit. You just know when you bite into it, it's going to feel good. And look how beautiful it is. Look how wonderful it is. You need this. And then they, of course, Satan said to them, you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. And so the pride of life, all of those three things were wrapped up in there. You've got, we've got to protect the anointing. Let me tell you something. It's not just about you. You're called to make a difference in this earth. You're called this whole time of our existence, our fleshly existence on this earth. Did you know that this is a testing time? Who will serve God and who will not serve God? Who will be born again and who will reject the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what this world is all about. Yes, it's very simplistic, which I just said. But that's really what it's all about. Who will serve God and who will reject? And so we have a mandate in our lives to be testimonies of the power of God. I want to get back. I used to tell the Lord all the time, I want to get back to the book of Acts. I want to have happening uh, in the church. And he said, that was just the beginning. He says, you should be living far above what happened in the book of Acts. You should be living in greater things than what they, they walked in.
well, I'm, I'm aiming my life to get back into that area. And I know you are too. In chapter 2 of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that bothered him. Wanting the interpretation, he told his magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell him the meaning of the dream. And he said, if you don't, then he's going to kill all of them and their families. Wow. That's a high-stress job right there. You think your job's bad? That's a high-stress job. It takes, a, it takes it to a whole new level of the husband coming home and the wife saying, honey, how was your day? She's going, honey, how was your day? Did you get it right? High-stress job. And so in Daniel 2, 16 through 19, remember Daniel had been given, through his integrity, had been given the ability to interpret dreams and visions. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house. I like that. He went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Did you notice he went to his house, and then it says that they might seek. That word seek in the Hebrew uh, culture is a word that literally means worship. And he was, and notice it says that they were giving, they were giving glory to God. They, he wasn't begging God for an answer. He was giving glory to God and worshiping God. And it was through that worship that revelation came to him. Then Daniel reveals the dream and the meaning to the king. Let's pick it up in verses 46 and 49. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded. Can you imagine the king is now bowing before Daniel? And commanded that they should present an offering, an incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler, a governor, over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also, Daniel petitioned the king, and he set his buddies up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel sat in the gate of the king. That was the place of honor. Sounds like the story of Joseph, doesn't it? All of a sudden, Joseph becomes the second in command in all of Egypt. This is happening with Daniel. The same thing. Out of what? Integrity of heart. Refusing to change. The supernatural ability came through a heart of integrity that saved many people from death. Favor, promotion, promotion in the midst of hardship through obedience and integrity of heart. Praise God. Let's look over in chapter 3. There's another story here that we want to look at. Uh, the king now, Nebuchadnezzar, has, uh, this is really the time of, if you're looking at a timeline, uh, the st- we're in about 586 right here. Well, that's when Nebuchadnezzar's army came and ruined 
They took the last group of people out of Judah, brought them down to Babylon, and they destroyed totally uh, Jerusalem and the temple, completely annihilated it. So Nebuchadnezzar's feeling pretty good about himself. He's feeling like, I'm the man, we're the, rule, we're the, we're the world uh, ruling army here, we are the nation, and he's feeling good about himself. So the king sets up an image of gold that was supposed to be worshipped at a set time. This, this uh, image of gold was 90 feet tall in a conservative sense, depending on which measure of the cubit you go with. Uh, at a conservative measurement, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. This is a big image. And when the horns blasted and, and all these other musicians started to play, you were supposed to stop what you're doing, you were supposed to bow down before this gold, eye, this gold image, and you were supposed to worship the golden image. Okay? And so we pick it up in verse 6 of chapter 3. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Wow, that's, pretty, that's some pretty serious stuff right there. Worship, turn or burn, right? That's kind of it. You're going to worship or you're going to burn. Then certain Chaldeans, who are these certain Chaldeans? Remember when Daniel was set over all of the wise men of Babylon? He was promoted. He was a foreigner. He's a Jew. He's not a Chaldean. And all of a sudden, he's exalted to this high place. And all those magicians and astrologers and the Chaldeans underneath him, they became bitter and jealous. So these certain Chaldeans, these bitter, wise men, came to the king and accused the Jews in verse 8. Let's look at verse 12 now. They said, there are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due respect to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Now, Daniel is not present. He's probably out doing some work with his, with his other duties that he had. In verse 15, it says, Now, the king, the king says to them, Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, notice that, but if you do not worship, you will be cast immediately into the midst of the fiery, burning, fiery furnace. I want you to see that what I just said right there, this is, and when you're looking at context of Scripture, you're looking at this is the subject of the context of Scripture for the next few blocks of Scripture. This is the main point, so hold on to that. Because this is the key to understanding something that has been misunderstood and mispreached for many, many, many years within the church. We're going to see, that we're going to see this now. We're going to get it. But if you do not worship, you should be cast immediately into the burning, uh, midst of a burning fiery furnace. And then he says, and who is the God who will deliver you from my hands. Then in verse 16 through 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answer and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, remember he said, 
And who is the God? He says, we have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, they said, we have nothing to prove here. We know who, the, who, who, got, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Then look at verse 17. If that is the case, that is a key statement. If that is the case, what's he talking about? If that is the case that we don't bow down, that you're going to throw us into the fiery furnace, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us. He didn't, they didn't just say, hey, he's able. They knew the will of God. He's able and he will. Amen? He's able and he will. He will deliver us from your hand, O king. Now look at verse 18. Here's where religion has come in and twisted the understanding and missed it. Because they said, he's able to deliver us and he will deliver us from your hand. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Religion, here's how religion has twisted this. Our God is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us. But if not, and I've heard people preach this over and over again. See, God doesn't always answer prayers. Sometimes your prayers will go unanswered. And they're saying right here, but if God doesn't come through for us, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods. Wait a minute. If God doesn't come through for these guys... They don't have a choice to bow down and worship. Because why? They'll be dead. Does that make sense? So for them to say, but if God, but if not, meaning if God doesn't come through, makes no sense. Because the next, the rest of the statement is moot. Let it be known to you. If you do throw us in, let it be, and, and God doesn't come through. Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship. That's a future tense statement. Nor will we worship. No, you won't worship. I can guarantee it because you'll be dead. You'll be burned up. It's, it's game over, okay? So that statement makes no sense. Let me give you what, is, what this thing's really talking about. Verse 17, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us. But if not, remember the subject in the context of the scriptures. But if not is, but if you don't throw us in, that's what that but if not is talking about. But if you, because the king said, I'm going to throw you in. If you, don't, if, you, if you don't worship, I'm throwing you in. They said, our God is able. If that is the case, our God is able. But if not, but if you don't throw us in, just understand just understand, we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image that you have set up. It had nothing to do with if God doesn't come through. Those two statements, if that is the case and but if not, all pertain to the subject of the context. Amen? It's a strong, it's a strong section of scripture. Their integrity is speaking on the integrity of God. They're speaking because they know the integrity of the covenant. They know who their God is. Well, the king gets ticked off, heats up the furnace seven times hotter. In fact, it was so hot that the guys that threw in these three Hebrew men, they died. 
just throwing them in, they perished. That's how hot it was. Let's look at verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast in three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Let me tell you, when you stand in your integrity, when you refuse to bow, when you say, no, the Word says this, and I'm going forward in this, the Lord's presence comes in your situation. And He will deliver you. And he, God is looking for people to stand on His Word. He's looking for people that will make a difference. He's looking for a church that will not bow. He's looking for a church who will not go the way of the world. He's looking for a church that will allow the anointing of God to function and flow. Verse 28 and 29. Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, Blessed be the God. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king is getting ministered to here. Who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies. Yet they shouldn't that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that... Now listen to this. Do you remember what it said in uh, Daniel... 11, 32, and 33, that last verse, 33, and those of the people who understand shall instruct many. Listen to this. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. That affected nations and their house shall be made an, made an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. This is a pagan king that saw that. Luke 6, 45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good and good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of those three men, out of the abundance of their heart, they spoke. Because they walked in integrity of heart. They knew their God. They understood the covenant. And they spoke in abundance of faith and said, our God will deliver us. They knew their God. They understood the covenant. It's that scripture in Daniel 11. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Did you know that that scripture in Daniel 11:32? Do you know who spoke that scripture? That scripture, if you read the book of Daniel, that scripture was spoken by Gabriel, the archangel. He came from the very throne of God to Daniel over many occasions and gave him direction of how world history will go. And this angel says, the angel that's in the presence of God says, and the people that know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Praise God. Their faith was non-negotiable, and they stood strong, counting on their non-negotiable God. Let's look at one more before we close. Now, we're going we're to progress 48 years to the future. 
Three kings have, have come and gone, three kings later, and 48 years later, now King Darius the Mede appoints Daniel as one of the three governors with 120 civic leaders who were to report to him and give an accounting. So here's a whole nother king that sees something in Daniel and puts him over the whole, the whole area. And the same thing, these 120 civic leaders that are under, under Daniel, they're jealous. They don't like what's happening. They understand he's a foreigner. Who is this guy? He's not a Chaldean. He's not a Mede. He's not a Persian. What's going on here? Why is this Jew? Why is this Hebrew man set over us? We don't like it. And so they devise a plan to get rid of Daniel. And there's something about the Medes and the Persians. They have a law that once it's put into law, and once it's written down, and once the king puts a signet ring to it, once it's established, that law cannot be changed. It's set in stone, and it cannot be changed. So they understand that loophole in the, in the legal system, and they say, we're going to trap Daniel. We're going to get rid of him this time. And so they devise a plan. They manipulate King Darius. Let's look at it in Daniel 6, 7 through 9. And they said to the king, all the governors of the kingdom the administrators and the satraps and the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writings so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persian, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius, I'm going to add in haste, signed the written decree. These jealous leaders manipulate King Darius to kill Daniel. They knew how Daniel's life was. They knew what he did every day, how he prayed three times to his God every day. They watched this over and over and over. Daniel had a lifestyle, his whole life of doing this. Everybody in the city knew what Daniel did. And they were going to use this against Daniel to get rid of him. Let's look at verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, I love this. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times a day. He didn't change his lifestyle at all. And prayed and gave thanks before his God. He wasn't begging God, oh God, they signed this thing. Help me, deliver me. He wasn't doing that. He was resting in the presence of his God and he's giving thanks. He's worshiping his God. He's at ease. And it says, as was his custom since the early days. You know, since Daniel knew the writing was signed, and you weren't supposed to petition a god or man for 30 days, Daniel could have just waited 30 days. He could have just said, God, I'm going to put on hold uh, my worship to you. I'm, uh, you know, this thing's been signed, and so I'm just going to back off for 30 days. Once 30 days is up, I'm going to go back to doing what I've, I've done before. He doesn't negotiate. It's a non-negotiable for him. This is daily living for Daniel. What was the result? Well, Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. And King Darius, through this, realizes that he was set up by these men. And he's ticked. 
but he can't do anything about it because it's been signed into law. And it says all day long, King Darius tries to look for a loophole to get Daniel released, but he couldn't find a loophole. And the king is so distraught about this. Why? He saw something different in Daniel. He sees this man as a man of honor, a man of integrity. He sees that God, his God, is working in his life. There's something special about this person. And Daniel and King Darius is saddened. And it says that King Darius even fasted the day and the night, fasting that Daniel's God would deliver him. So Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, left there all night long. Guess what? King Darius comes out in the morning. Daniel, are you there? Are you alive? Did your God deliver you? Yeah, I'm here. I'm just playing with some big kitties. He, got, he had a testimony. Man, I got to pet lions, man. And could, I will just say, can you imagine? He's probably down there going, oh, you're a good boy. Yeah, you're a good boy. You too, yeah, yeah, come here. The lions are probably rolling over and they're probably purring and everything else. The anointing was there. He had a story. Man, I was, I was playing with the lions. <laughs> I have a cat that I love. He's not quite a lion, but... He thinks he is. He thinks he is. Verse 24 and 26. And the king gave the command, and they brought those men out who had, who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the lion's den. Them, their children, and their wives. I could just imagine the wives going, thanks. Thanks, Frank. Thanks. Way to go, buddy. <laughs> and the lions overpowered them. So you could almost say, well, maybe the lions weren't hungry. No, read this story. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces, listen to this, before they ever came to the bottom of the floor of the den. While they were in air coming down, the lions nailed them. No, the lions were hungry. There was no anointing on these people. There was an anointing on Daniel. Then King Darius wrote, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree. And remember the law of the Medes and the Persians? Look at what he's writing out now. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. Praise God. A non-negotiable faith in our non-negotiable Lord, standing upon a non-negotiable truth in a non-negotiable service brings about tremendous results for both our lives and those who are around us. Remember, Daniel and his friends and Joseph were people just like us, except they were not born again. They did not have the Holy Spirit living within them. They did not have the revealed word of God that we have today regarding the kingdom. I love the scripture in John 14, 12. You had to mark this down. You had to memorize this one. Jesus said, the works that I, I do, you also will do. And greater works than these shall you do because I go to my Father. The works that I do. Have you read the works of Jesus when he walked on the earth? Have you read the book? The works that I do. He said, you, the church, you also will do. 
And greater works than these shall you do because I go to my Father. And when he says, I go to my Father, do you know what he's implying? When I go to my Father, the Holy Spirit will come and the Holy Spirit will empower you. The Holy Spirit will be on the inside of you. He will lead and guide you into all truth and he will be the power. He will testify of me. And the power and the anointing will be within you to bring change, to be that light in the earth, to be salt into this earth. Last scripture, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure. Oh, yes. Come on now. We have, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Our God wants to do great things through us as well. Embrace his integrity and expect the anointing. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. I just want to invite you who are watching. We want to thank you for joining with us today. And will you join us in a word of prayer? Father, we just give you praise today. Lord, there's so much going on in this world. It's so easy to compromise. Everybody's doing it, it seems like. And it seems like it's getting darker and darker in the world and in these times. It looks like it's becoming more difficult to stand for the things of God. But Lord, you haven't changed. Holy Spirit, you're within us. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your word is the same. Lord, you're looking for a people who will rise up and will say, we're standing upon this word. Yes, we're going to be people that love other people. But we're also going to be a people that say, we will not compromise. And we are a people who will stand for the things of God and we will allow, we will protect the anointing and we will allow the power of God to flow. If you're watching or if you're here in the sanctuary today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you today to receive him into your heart. It's so simple. Jesus has gone to the cross. He's already done the work. He's already paid for our sin. He's already given himself as a sacrifice. He shed his blood and established the new covenant based on better promises than the old covenant with the Holy Spirit to help you through this life. He's not a God who's far away. The Holy Spirit is here on the earth and when you give your life over to him, he comes and dwells on the inside of you. He's a personal God. He cares about every area of your life. And he will lead you, and he will guide you, and he will teach you. He'll help you understand this Bible. He'll give you a family of a church of people that will care about you and will help you to succeed. I implore you today to just say these words. Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. If you pray that prayer, that simple prayer, and you mean it. You're changed today. Your name is written in his book of life, and you will dwell with him forever and ever. But on this earth at this time, you will be empowered to stand and empowered to walk in his supernatural authority. Father, we give you praise for those who are watching, those who are here who have made that decision today. If you're watching, uh, go over to our website at myvcc.org. Click on the Contact Us link. 
uh, just send us, a, send us a little email and just say, on this day, on August 29th, uh, I prayed the prayer with Pastor Dan and I received Jesus into my heart. We'd love to communicate with you. Any questions you may have, I want you to know we are here for you. We will answer, try to answer every question you have. We'll help you in this new walk of faith. We are a family here at Valley Community Church, and we'd love to get to know you and have you be a part of our family as well. Well, on behalf of Pastor Gary, Pastor Terry, and all of the Valley